Welcome back to the Dear Heart and the Brain podcast show, where we discuss general health, fitness, and science. This is the second to last final episode of the special micronutrient series. And whether you're walking your dog, driving to work, or doing household chores, I hope you know that you're in for a great adventure. As we're wrapping up our micronutrient series here, I wanted to dedicate the last episode to calcium and phosphorus, as several of your hardworking organs contribute to that intimate intertwining of the two elements by either facilitating the absorption with your intestine, bone remodeling, and kidney reabsorption of calcium and fabulous phosphorus, right? The majority of calcium is supplied in milk and calcium-fortified foods, such as certain cereals, to address inadequate intakes. And phosphate is widely distributed in foods, and and it's pretty much in many high-protein items, such as meats, milk, and eggs. Right. So let's dive into calcium first. Okay. So calcium wears many hats, and one of them is being a second messenger. And when peptide hormones or growth factors bind to receptors in your cell surface, calcium will rush out of its stores and into the cytosol. This is done by the enzyme called phospholipase C, PLPC for short, right? It hydrolyzes our friend PTI and we get DAC and IP3. And IP3 causes the release of calcium stores in the ER. And when we have increased cytosol concentrations of calcium, there's this intermediary protein called calmodulin that will be activated and will bind to calcium causing a conformational change to influence other cellular activity. And in order to remove this calcium from the cytosol before it gets too toxic, we will buffer calcium using calcium-binding proteins like calmodulin or compartmentalize them through other cellular organs such as the ER or mitochondria or even completely remove them from the cell with ATP calcium ion pumps from the membrane. Right? We just talked about how calcium wears several hats and some other hats that it plays is that it activates other proteins. Like for example, there's this enzyme called phospholipase A2, which is involved in lipid digestion, and it specifically has a cavity for calcium ion binding, where it can hold the phosphate group of the phospholipase substrate so that fatty acids can actually be released. Right. Moreover, there's something called calpain, and it really depends on the binding of calcium so that it can dissociate its two units that actually allow it to drive activity. Blood clotting enzymes such as prothrombin and factor X that we talked about in the vitamin K lecture also require calcium for the activation of the blood clotting cascades. And lastly, annexins, right? These are proteins that act as membrane scaffold proteins to regulate endocytosis and exocytosis that require calcium. Now, enough about calcium. Let's talk about phosphate, which is needed to maintain a good acid-base balance in your body. And it does this by being an effective buffer, right? Phosphate, phosphate, my friend, involved in many different things that require energy. For example, splitting that energy-rich phosphate bond of ATP releases energy. And also, cyclic AMP and cyclic GMP, right? They both function through phosphorylating other proteins. That's the beautiful thing about phosphorylation. You can reserve Modifi- or, yeah, reverse modifications of proteins using phosphorylation and you can even phosphorylate vitamins after they get processed so they can, they can be all retained and your DNA, right, we always talk about the nucleotides and like purine and thimidolate synthesis, right your DNA also has these nucleotides that are linked by a sugar phosphate backbone 
and phospholipids, uh, and basically phospholipids, right? It also requires a phosphate group to connect all these pieces together. So you see, like, phosphate plays a lot of roles just like calcium does, right? It's like a full-time job for all these jobs just for them. But how does calcium and phosphate relate to each other in bone tissue? And we're, we're going to explore that, like, especially since 99% of the body's calcium and 85% of the body's phosphate are found in bone. Specifically, it's good to note that the calcium found in your body is a calcium phosphate compound called hydroxyapatite. And there are many calcium binding proteins in your bone, such as osteonectin, which promotes osteoblast proliferation and survival. And if you recall from the vitamin K lecture, we also have glob proteins such as osteocalcin and matrix glob protein and protein X S all found in the bone. And a question that you may be thinking about now is that how can we regulate the metabolism of calcium and phosphate? There's such crucial vitamins that play like 100,000 roles almost, right? You can think about it like that. Um, thank your, your parathyroid glands, right? We talked about this in the vitamin D episode where your um, parathyroid hormone, also known as its straight name of PTH, has a calcium sensing receptor that detects when plasma calcium levels are low and when decreased calcium is detected in your blood, this will lead to an increase in like, the parathyroid hormone to be secreted. And mechanistically, um, this PTH will interact with osteoplasts in your kidney to stimulate cyclic AMP, and then this ultimately results in a rapid increase in um, kidney calcium reabsorption and decrease in phosphate reabsorption. And if you recall, PTH will increase the production of vitamin D from 25-OHG to its active form because the active form will increase calcium and phosphate absorption. Additionally, vitamin D receptors, right, you already know that it gets activated by an active form and then it binds um, as a complex to other gene promoter regions of the DNA to affect transcription. Uh, and it does this by like, two things that we will come across later too, right? One. It increases expression of calcium channels called the CAT1, as well as the calbindin D, which is another protein that facilitates the absorption of calcium. The active form of vitamin D will increase phosphate absorption too. And before we move forward, I want to say a difference about what reabsorption and resorption is. Right, so re- reabsorption, it's about bringing a compound back into an organ, whereas resorption is taking a compound out of organ and because PTH doesn't have receptors on osteoclasts, osteoclasts, right, they um, do calcium resorption to take out calcium from the bone. Um, PTH will produce a bone resorption effect by stimulating the, it's called the rankle, so R-A-N-K-L, by osteoblasts to promote osteoclast differentiation, right? So that's how PTH communicates with osteoclasts through rankle and osteoblasts. And PTH does what it does to really maintain calcium homeostasis. It will literally go out of its way to increase calcium release from the bone, reduce kidney clearance from calcium, and increase absorption of calcium in the intestine. So, your thyroid does a lot. Um, they make something called calcitonin, which absolutely hates the guts of PTH, so it acts in opposition by lowering blood calcium levels. FGF, another hormone released by Osteocytes, which are mature mature osteoblasts, will act on kidney to lower blood phosphate and production of vitamin D by inhibiting enzymes 
that um, make and activate um, vitamin D. And together, calcitonin and FGF will re reduce the intestinal resorption, re uh, calcium absorption in the intestine. Something interesting that I wanted to know before I let you go is that calcium absorption is actually decreased with increased intake. And this is because of mechanisms of low plasma calcium taking measures to increase itself by breaking bone down and activating enzymes by the PTH to change that. The two methods to transfer calcium vary depending on low or high calcium intake and whether it's regulated by vitamin D. Like for example, transcellular calcium transport during low intake, it requires ATP and regulation of vitamin D so that the calcium can actually enter the CAT1 um, channel, right? We recently talked about that. And remember when I told you that the active vitamin D and its transporter will impact genes? Yeah, that's the work of the calcium um, T1 that we just mentioned, and also calbindin, which will bind to calcium ions to get it to the blood. Similarly, phosphate absorption is influenced by vitamin D status due to the active form at work to increase small intestinal absorption. Well, this is the first part of the calcium and phosphate episode. I want to pause here before we enter the final episode of this micronutrient series. Stay tuned for the last one, and I'm going to leave you with the same message I leave you in every single one of our Dear Heart and the Brain podcast episodes. Keep that brain sharp, keep that heart healthy, and go dominate. Thanks so much for your time and attention, and above all, thanks for your interest in science.